Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Why don't we stand this morning? I'm going to read some scripture to you. I won't keep you standing too long. As a matter of fact, I'm going to split up the passage to share with you. But I want to speak to you this morning on to our mission, Secrets of Soul Winning. And I know, and I knew going in in preparation, when we talk about soul winning, some people kind of bristle and say, uh-oh, uh-oh, what's he going to tell us we have to do now? It's not a comfortable subject. It can be challenging for our day and age and the world that we live in and the church that we live in. But I'm not here to condemn or criticize or attack or push anybody. What I'm here to do is tell you some very exciting things that the Word of God has for you and that God has for you this morning that may encourage you. Because I, I believe that there's probably some in this congregation today that occasionally say to themselves, I know I should be sharing this thing. I know I have lost loved ones I should be talking to. I know I should be doing more than just coming to church and enjoying all this good feeding and all this good word. But see, the devil would want to condemn you over that. The devil would want to attack you and criticize you and make you feel bad and say, you're, you're not going to make it. You're not going to, because you won't even share the word. See, the devil would make you feel bad, but God is not a condemner. God is an encourager. And so hopefully today, this weak and poor and ugly and unrighteous vessel will have a chance to encourage you and strengthen you and maybe make you a soul winner. Maybe. We'll see. All right, can we go to the word? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When we talk about soul winners in the Bible... Buddy, there ain't no soul winner like the Apostle Paul. He went through it all. God used him mightily, a man who killed Christians under the name of Saul. God made him one of the greatest soul winners that we've ever known, obviously, aside from Jesus Christ himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to start right at verse 1. So bear with me, we're going to go through 11 verses. It says that, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved... We have a building of God. Amen? If this church doesn't exist, if this building doesn't exist, we have each other. We are the building of God. We are the body. Sometimes the church can be a little bit of an inhibitor to the concept of soul winning. Do you believe that? It's kind of an interesting concept, isn't it? Because we get comfortable. We're safe in here. We're safe in the house of God. We're all like-minded folks, right? We all believe the same thing relatively. We're, right? It's safe in here. And sometimes the house of God can make us a little, a little lackadaisical when it, when it approaches the concept of soul winning. And I'm going to share a revolutionary. Is John Matson here this morning? John's out of town? All right. I'm going to talk to him on the, on the recording. I'm going to share a, universe, or excuse me, a controversial opinion of mine with you in just a short moment. Okay, on to the rest of the verse. A house that may, uh, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. We, we really, really want to do this thing. We want to be a part of this family. We groan for the things. And if so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. And what Paul's basically saying there is, we, 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 we do want heaven, right? Now, I want you to get this. This part of this verse is really important. We want heaven. We talk about it. And, and the world right now is trying to... to sort of delegitimize all the concepts of Jesus and heaven and, and, and you're, you're an idiot if you think those things are real and, and this, you know, this concept we don't talk about maybe enough. There's a heaven. There's a great place that we're going to but see what Paul is saying is, is it, we really grown for this life. We're so, we know this life. We understand what we have. We know what our comforts are. We're going to go home today and have a delicious lunch with our family, maybe kick back on the recliner you know, and relax and have comfort and get ready for tomorrow. We know that life. But we, we don't really know heaven. We don't really understand heaven. And so we really don't desire heaven and groan for heaven like we should. Because we don't know it and we don't truly understand it. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit later here in just a moment about what we need to know in our hearts. Okay? So that's what Paul's talking about. We're sort of stuck on this life. 
this fleshly life we have. Even though we really want what God has and we know there's a heaven, we're not quite there. Verse 4 says, For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon the mortality might be swallowed up of life. We know we're going to die, is what he's saying, and we don't like that part, and we feel like we're okay with heaven, and you know, I'm, I, I'm trying to do the best I can, but someday I'm going to die. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given us unto us the earnest of the Spirit. When you do die, you still have a spirit. You got some place to go. Don't worry about it. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Very common statement that we hear all the time. We quote that all the time, right? We are confident, I say, and will willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. So really... Whether we're thinking about things of heaven or thinking, thinking about things of spirit or whether we're thinking about paying our mortgage or whatever, we really want to be with the Lord. We want to do the things that God wants us to do, right? Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Okay, well, there's a kind of a bell ringer, huh? So we are going to be accountable for how we live in this life and what our thoughts are, and what our approach is. Verse 11 says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. And you can be seated. And so what he's saying there is, when he's talking about the terror of the Lord, he's talking about, if you don't know him, the great fear, the terror. We know that God is going to be capable of some pretty rough stuff. It's his judgment that will take this world. It's his judgment that will cast people away from heaven. We know about that. Paul's talking about that, that terror. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What does he mean when we say we persuade men? It means we're sharing the gospel. I, l- listen, I know the terror of the Lord. I got a job to do. And I'm here to tell you today that all of us do. I said soul winning is an uncomfortable topic, but all of us have a duty in some way, shape, or form to persuade men. Because of that terror of the Lord. We don't have the terror. You shouldn't, be, you shouldn't have terror of the Lord. Be that afraid. He's talking about the ones that don't know God or won't follow God. Or what's to come for those who don't follow God. Okay? So we persuade men because we have knowledge of what's to come for those people who need him. That should be in our minds. Right? Moms and dads, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, friends, relatives, neighbors, co-workers. Anybody here don't know someone who doesn't know God? Right? So we have a mission at hand. Now here's the part that I was going to challenge my buddy John with. John is a scholar in the word of God. I don't think he quite reaches the level of Brother Kylie and Brother Steve, but, but he and I go back and forth a lot and we talk about the things of the Lord and we share lots of interesting scholarly things of Scripture and the deep parts of the Word and it's, it's very enjoyable and I learn so much and we, we sharpen each other's iron, so to speak. But I'm going to give you this. We're given the Old Testament and we're, giving, we're given Israel as an example. Anybody understand that? We know that, right? We're given the people of Israel as an example of how many times they continuously failed God. They go into captivity, they repent, God would use a heathen king to deliver them, they deliver out, go back to Israel, they build walls, do things, build the temple, blah, blah, blah. They go through it over and over and over again. And we sit back and we look, what is the deal, Israel? How hard was it? Don't eat certain foods, show up at the tabernacle, kill some animals, live for God. I mean, God spoke to their leaders in, in vocal Sound. Moses heard God, saw, almost saw God, right? What was so tough? What was so difficult? But I'm going to tell you why Israel is really the greatest example that Israel gives us and why they failed so much. Why they continuously could not stay on the right track and serve God and be effective until the end of the Old Testament when he finally says, all right, that's enough. And 400 years of silence. Do you know Why? Israel, okay, now I'm going to tell you this is an opinion. This is not scripture. Israel was not evangelical. Israel did not spread the word of God. Everybody, everybody outside the camp was garbage, trash, human waste. 
Even the Samaritans who were half-breeds. You weren't to touch them. You weren't to talk to them. You weren't to eat with them. You weren't to care about them. You weren't to even come near them. You were considered unclean if you touched them. There was no evangelical, soul-winning, word-sharing, God-sharing component to the life of an Israelite. I'm here to tell you this morning that from what I read from the Word of God, the opinion that I share from you, I believe is true because the Word of God shows that the one thing that we have that keeps us driving forward, that keeps us in line with this program, keeps us in line with what we're doing as evangelical Christians is sharing the Word of God with the lost. That's what's going to keep us. That's what's different from, uh, from, with us from the Israelites. You see? Isn't that amazing? God gave me that in just a, an awesome revelation. Israel failed over and over and over again. Why? Because they sat in their tabernacles and they sat in their tents and they nitpicked at one another and they found fault and they found reasons to turn away from God, worship calves and do things wrong and have all of those problems that we know of. Because they had no focus. They had no... Well, you say, well, why did God make it like that? Why did God create it that way? Because their mission was to serve and to please God. That's what they were supposed to do. They were God's chosen. They were his people. That was their design. And because God was this difficult concept, come on now, you guys got to get this connection, I hope. Throw me out if I'm off base here. (laughs) They were to serve this invisible God that they couldn't relate to. You know, you hear where I'm going with this? The whole purpose of Jesus Christ The whole purpose of Jesus Christ's ministry was God robing himself in flesh so that he could experience what we experience and feel what we feel and connect with us on a personal deep basis because the Israeli experiment, the Hebrew experiment, I'm using a a goofy word, obviously. They failed him in what his design and his purpose was. And so God brought himself robed in flesh to have that personal connection. So if we use Israel's example and we say, wow, they didn't have an evangelical part of who they are. That's really why they failed. That should speak to us and say, I need to find within myself a soul-winning, outreaching, evangelical component to who I am. Or perhaps... I fail. Does that make sense? Okay, now I know I still, haven't, I still haven't raised or appeased the feeling of discomfort that you have that, oh man, is he going to tell me to go door knocking? Is he going to tell me to go talk to people? I'm shy, Brother Cordell. I don't talk to people very well. Let me continue to read in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to skip down to verse 17. We'll get back on that point in just a moment. Verse 17 says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. If you were shy before, you were an angry person before, you like to hide away before, I want to challenge you today that I think you're a new creature. And there's something in there that we can, we can break through and find that you may not even know is there if you're full of the Holy Ghost. I'm challenging you today. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We've heard that scripture quoted a million times. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Uh Uh-oh. Do you know what that means? When he saved us, he gave us a mission. Remember I said the title of this message is On to Our Mission. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That doesn't mean reconciliation between us and God. That part was done already. The ministry of reconciling them to him. He gave us that ministry. Verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. There he says it again. God came. He, he, he was giving, basically giving him the opportunity of salvation. And so then their trespasses, he wasn't imputing back to him and saying, okay, well, that's great. Now you know me, but I'm still going to curse you because you've got these sins on you. No, it was, it was wiping that away. It was reconciliation. Reconcile. Make whole. Make clean. Make perfect. Okay? 
Verse 20 says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. He made you an ambassador. Can I define ambassador for those of you that may not be on top of that? An ambassador is assigned by a leader locally in this country and is sent out and lives in the foreign nation that they're an ambassador to and is in, is in a, a partnership of the current nation to that nation. In other words, they're to leave home and go out and be a representative of this nation to the foreign government and their people. It's a mission of peace and a mission of collaboration and working together. In our case, we're ambassadors into this foreign world. I'm talking about walking outside these walls. Outside these walls is a foreign nation, and we are ambassadors to it. Your job is a foreign country to this, to this church. I don't know where all of you work, but it's a foreign nation, I guarantee you. Unless you work at another apostolic, Holy Ghost-filled, God-preaching church, you're going out to a foreign country, and you're an ambassador there. You're an ambassador in your neighborhood. You're an ambassador to your family. God love your family, but guess what? Their homes, unless they are knowing God, is a foreign nation. You're an ambassador there when you're there. Oh, Brother Cordell, I've tried to talk to my family. I've tried to talk to people. I just struggle with it so much. I, I've tried, you know, they, our church had this outreach thing, and we went and knocked on doors, and everybody slammed the door in our face, and, and nobody wanted to talk to us, and it was really depressing, and I just, I don't feel comfortable doing that. I got an answer for you. I tried to talk to my family members and they laugh at me and, and, and they kind of joke around with me and et cetera, et cetera. Of course, when Aunt Mabel got cancer, they called me and asked me if I would pray. Hmm. That was interesting. You see, Abundant Life, this church is on a journey of preparation. Can I get an amen, Brother Marty? Where are you? Is he in here, Brother Marty? He left. We're on a journey of preparation. There's been a lot of awesome things going on. I'm looking across this, and I'm just making contact here and there, and I'm seeing all these faces, and I see people that reach out, and they greet people, and they love people, and they come to our events, and they shake hands, and they say hi, and they entreat our, our neighbors, and they entreat our friends. I'm seeing people with wonderful testimonies, lives that have been changed, willingness and hearts to reach out and serve and pray and minister and do all these great things. See, Bunnett Life has been on a journey of preparation, preparation for the next mission, on to our mission. I see good people with just wonderful attitudes. I see people who are ready to serve. They just don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. I'm not a door knocker, Brother Cordell. I've had struggle with my family. I don't know what to do. But I'm telling you, we're in a journey of preparation right now. And I thank God when he gave me this message is saying, okay, it's coming. It's coming. This is going to be an outreach church. This is going to be a community church. This is going to be a church that reaches out into the community and brings people in here. It's going to happen. You know, the world talks about this, this goofy stuff. I, I don't get all of it, but the world talks about rebranding and this marketing stuff and all that. We're not rebranding. We're just taking our brand to a higher level, right? We already had that brand. It's right here, the word of God, amen. But this, is, this church is gonna be known in this community. I promise you that this church is gonna be known in this community as the outreach church. The church that's willing to go and show and do and be. Be the job, do the job, get the job. We want those people who want God. You know, the Bible says that the field is white in this world, that the, the, the harvest is ready. And I've had people say to me, well, Brother, Car- Brother Cordell, if that were true, we should just be able to walk outside our doors and start, start harvesting and harvesting and they'd be coming in droves. No, it's, it doesn't work like that. The harvest is white, but it takes some work to find the plants that are ready to harvest. And God's got a way for that. I'm going to turn you over to 2 Corinthians. We're going to go right on down past verse 21. So we're going into 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Okay. Now, just a little side note here. I hope you understand that when, when, the, when, the, when the authors wrote the Bible and they put these chapters and verses in there, they weren't there to begin with. And so these messages are sometimes broken up. And so verse, excuse me, chapter 6 continues on the point that Paul was making. After verse 21, verse 1 of, of chapter 6 says, We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. 
My Lord, people, don't take the things that God has given you, the miracles and the wonders and salvation and the blessing and everything that you have in vain and just hold it tight and hide it under a bushel. Don't be the tree that doesn't bear fruit and is hewn down and cast into the fire. We know those things, right? Brother Corley, you are not helping my problem with understanding outreach. I'm working on it. I'm getting there. Okay. Don't receive the grace in vain. Verse two says, for he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What he's saying is, is you don't come in and accept all this stuff and get all these wonderful blessings and just kind of chill out and you know, someday I'll think about being an ambassador to God. Someday I'll think about sharing my testimony. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Do you know why? Because the Bible says we don't know what's going to happen to us in the next hour. We're not promised anything beyond the moment that I'm... St- I, could, I could have a stroke and die right now, right here at this pulpit. Wouldn't that be amazing? Right here. My wife says, no, that wouldn't be amazing. But I'm not promised that time. I can't, I'm not guaranteed that I'm going to finish this message. Maybe one of you drags me out of here. I don't know. But the point is... Today, now, is the time of salvation. On to our mission. We have a mission, and it's now. Okay? Brother Corder, you're still not making me feel very well about this outreach thing. Okay. Verse 3 goes on to say, Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in affliction, in necessities, and distresses. Okay, now, Paul is about to go into a list He's about to go into a description of what life is going to kind of be like for us, but it's, he's going to be honest with the good and honest with the bad. But we have to understand it's a process, and this is the direction that we need to go. Let's not, let's not fool ourselves. A lot of people are going to laugh at you. See, now the devil wants to use that information. He doesn't want you to do this, by the way. I think, can we all just say that's sort of a given God wants you to sit in your church and sing your songs and and have a great time, hug some necks and say hi and shake hands and go home and just do whatever you do and never say another word. That's what the devil wants. Is that fair? Okay. So the devil also wants to take the things that have crept into your mind over time. Now, somebody in here is going to agree with me. And you can choose to or not, but somebody in here has been told that you don't have the ability to do this. That the devil has told you that people will laugh at you. That you have nothing to say. I don't know how to talk to people. The devil has told you your testimony isn't good enough. It's not meaningful. The devil has told you that people will reject you. Rejection is a very powerful thing. And it's a very difficult thing to deal with. I've been in sales most of my career. It is incredibly difficult to deal with mentally if you are not prepared. And so what the Apostle Paul, who wasn't really a prescribed salesman, is getting ready to tell you the truth about this process. But what he's doing is he's taking the objections and the rejections and the negativity away from the devil and saying it himself. See, if we're honest with ourselves and we prepare ourselves mentally, we know that if I'm going to go knock on a door, people are going to slam the, they're going to slam the door in my face. Well, if we know that ahead of time and it happens, well, no surprise, right? No pain, no sorrow. Oh, well. Wasn't there a point in the word of God when Jesus basically instructed that if you go to a town and they reject you, dust your feet off and move on? We have to be willing to understand that if you've been working on the same relatives, Aunt Mabel, for years and years and years, and I've preached and I've taught Aunt Mabel and I've taught her Bible studies and I've taken her to church and I've told her and she still won't accept and she still won't accept and she still won't accept. And you use that as your reason for giving up and being an ambassador to God and and ministering and witnessing to people. That's exactly what the enemy wants. And I'm sorry to say, but you might have to turn Aunt Mabel over to somebody else. You might have to let Aunt Mabel go. Love her, appreciate her, continue to invite her once in a while. But if all of your energy, all of your efforts and everything that you're doing is just on Aunt Mabel, and Aunt Mabel's response defines everything about what you're going to be for God from here out, that's a problem. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. Dust your feet and move on. This is a numbers game. You know, I used to work in sales and I trained salespeople and it was inevitable every time I had a new salesperson I was working with, they would get all excited. We're prospecting, see, and that's what, that's what essentially we're doing. We're prospecting for, for opportunities, new souls. We're out there knocking doors. And I don't mean literally knocking doors, by the way. If that's something, I don't want, 
I'm not going to send you out of here today and tell you that we're going to start a door knocking. That's not what I'm telling you, okay? This has to be between you and God. But we would get these guys out prospecting. You prospect by the phone, you prospect by people you know, you prospect by knocking on doors and all these different things. That's the way that you generate business. I was in advertising sales and so we went out and saw business owners. And inevitably, one of my salespeople, at least in the group of the new hires, would get this one big whale of a deal going, right? And he'd come back or she would come back to the office and say, oh, oh, I got, I got one away. I got a whale on the hook. This one's gonna be huge. It's gonna be great. It's gonna make my whole year. Oh boy, this one's great. In a couple of weeks would go by and the phone calls and all the kind of stuff. And I'd say, well, what's happening with Mr. Whale? Oh yeah, he's totally in. He's on board. I'm, I'm just, I got to send him a couple more pieces of information. He was interested about this and he needed to see some more information. Okay. A couple of weeks would go by. How's Mr. Whale doing? Oh, oh yeah, we're getting together next week. We just got a couple more details. And this would go on and go on and go on. And, and of course I would be saying, so what else you got working? Well, I, I got a couple things. I got, Brother Marty's laughing in the background. You know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? <laughs> right? And so this person would become so fixated on Mr. Whale because Mr. Whale was definitely going to be the, just the blowout deal and just amazing, make their whole year. And they would neglect anything else. Well, as you can imagine, Mr. Whale was never going to get landed. It just would never happen in most cases. And that person would extend all that energy and put all that effort chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing the same prospective client and waste a ton of time, cost themselves money, miss quotas, et cetera, et cetera. We do this. We do this in the kingdom. And so what would happen if I didn't curtail it, if I didn't head it off at the pass, is when Mr. When Mr. Whale was finally pressed up against a wall and was proven to be a, a flap trapper, a talker, a bag of gas, and wasn't ever going to buy anything or do anything, just wanted to have fun with a salesperson for six months. But when I wouldn't curtail that, it would end up being disastrous for that salesperson. It would destroy their confidence, and they'd shut up, and they wouldn't continue prospecting. And it's devastating, because we worked in a really great industry that was a lot of fun, and it was very lucrative, and if you worked hard at it, you could make a very good living at it. And so I had to try to curtail that, And as I thought back on that, I thought our experience here in our prospecting, if you will, is the same thing. And there's sometimes we got to let Mr. Whale go because there's some guppies out there that desperately need God in their lives. Are you feeling that yet? Okay. Let's continue on in this scripture. But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience. Now, remember I told you, this is the list where Paul's going to be honest with you. He's going he's to tell you how this thing is going to run. So listen carefully. <clears throat> in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses. It's going to be challenging. going to be up and down. In stripes and imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. By pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of the righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live as chastened and not killed. You hear that? The ups and the downs, the pains and the sorrows, the good and the bad, these are the realities of the work that we have, the mission that we have ahead of us. But, he goes to say, as dying, and behold, we live as chastened, but not killed. If somebody slams a door in your face and tells you you're a kook kook and a goofball and get off my porch or get out of my office or whatever, you're not going to die. They're not going to kill you. They're not going to call the cops on you and imprison you forever. I literally used to say this to the young salespeople. I stood outside a door of an office one day, and it was a client that we were, a prospect we were supposed to go see. And I said, okay, well, let's go in to see Mr. Jones. And, and the young man reached out and was literally shaking like this for the doorknob. And he, and he jumped back. This young man was so scared that he left the office building, went outside, and threw up in the street. I'm not kidding you. I followed him out. I'm like, are you all right? He's out there. (laughs) He was so terrified that the person was going to be angry with him or upset with him or yell at him or whatever. 
And so I stood there with him, and he got, got himself cleaned up and everything. And I, and I told him, I said, listen, man, these people aren't going to pull out a gun and shoot you. They can't kill you. You're not going to die. You're still going to be able to go home to your wife this afternoon and, and live another day. And he said, oh, yeah. Yeah, that, I, I guess that's true. I said, dude, you're just dealing with a ton of irrational fear. The worst I ever had was I had somebody throw a phone book at me and slam the door. Oh, I had, a, I had a guy call the cops on me once. Police officer showed up. He said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm with the Yellow Page Company. I'm just stepping in uh, to see a prospective client. Here's the list. I'm not selling anything. I'm trying to set an appointment. Oh, okay. And he left. <laughs> Imagine what this young man would have done. A police officer had walked up. Ah! Right down on the ground he goes, right? So what I'm telling you is, is the devil works the same way. He puts irrational fear into your minds. He tells you that this isn't possible. I'm the only person that ever wanted to be saved. Think about that for a second. Can I get a show of hands? I'm, I'm asking for a literal physical show of hands. I want a show of hands of everybody in this room that's currently full of the Holy Ghost and been baptized in Jesus' name that is angry or upset or disturbed that somebody took the time to witness to them. Anybody? No? You're not frustrated? Man, I hate that John. He came and talked to me about the Lord and I got saved. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Are you really the only person that was willing to accept the word of God and come and be saved? Did it stop with you? Of course not. But see, the devil wants to use irrational fear. He wants to tell you that bad things are going to happen. You're going to be embarrassed. You're going to face rejection. Things are going to be terrible. And what Paul just said in that list is he preempted all of that stuff. The devil never comes up with anything new. He's so predictable and so stupid. You heard me say this a couple of weeks ago. He's always the first to rush to the front of the line. He always does the dumbest thing. And he always does the same thing over and over and over again. But Paul's here to tell you, you're going to face a little bit of fear. There's going to be irrational things. But he says it right in Scripture. You're not going to die. They're not going to kill you. Well, it's very embarrassing. Aw. Hey, Jesus, when you were on the cross and they stripped you naked and beat you with uh, nine tails, and were you embarrassed? Was that embarrassing for you? I think I could take it. I think I can take a little spiritual crucifixion. Right? I know that was a big shot of conviction, but I had to tell myself the same thing. If Jesus can endure what he endured so that I don't have to spend eternity in hell, I think I can deal with Aunt Mabel hanging up on me or slamming the door in my face or calling me a kook or a name or telling me I'm ridiculous or I'm a fool. Because you know what? I'm strong enough to know that in the name of Jesus, I have something to share with people that somebody out there is going to hear and they're going to be hungry and they're going to want God and I'm going to be able to share it with them. Amen. I'm going to tell you something. God convicted me as a young man, as a teenager. I went to God and I said, God, I'm so fearful that I'm going to be lost. I just don't know how I can be sure. How can I be sure, God, that I'm doing the right thing, that I'm going to be saved? I was scared to death. I wanted to be effective for God. This was before I received a calling at age 16. And, and so God dealt with me and said, if you're ready, spoke in my mind, spoke to my heart and said, if you're ready and if you're willing to say it, I will send you people. And so I prayed that prayer. I said, God, I don't like door knocking. I'm scared to death. I don't like doing some of these things. Can you please just send me people? Just let me talk to people. Just give me the opportunity. I promise, God, if somebody says something, I'm going to share the word of God with them. I promised him. 15, 16 years old. And do you know what happened? God heard my prayer and sent me people. Over and over and over again, people out of the clear blue would walk up to me and say, can you explain to me why my church does this this way? Can you talk to me about what it means when the Bible says this? Can you explain why your church is that? My favorite question in the whole world, what is apostolic? All the time. You see, I found a way. I found a way to break the ice. I found a way to give God an opening. I looked for a chance to give an opening for somebody to ask me something. Because once I got ready, I studied like crazy. Guys, I'm not bragging on myself here. I went to Christian school, so I was forced, okay? <laughs> I was forced. I had to read the Bible. I had to do search for toothpastes. But I, I studied and I studied and I got hungrier and hungrier. I wanted to know. I wanted to understand everything. I wanted to really honestly know my faith. Because if that opportunity came and I could share the word of God, and that one soul would come and say, yes, I want to hear. 
there. I'll come to church with you. I wanted to be ready. And so soul after soul would come to me and give me opportunity to witness and to share. It was amazing. It was incredible. Bosses at work, out of nowhere, would just suddenly say, hey, you're, you're a Christian, right? Yep. What does it mean when the Bible says this? Boom. People say, what faith are you? And I would say, and I found a way to introduce. And again, I remember I told you, you don't have to be a door knocker. But people, eventually you work with people or you're in a neighborhood with people or you do whatever and eventually you have a conversation. They ask about your background, what you are. And so somewhere in that, I would, ship, I would slip in the comment that, well, I'm a person of faith and I, I really enjoy my church and I spend a lot of time there and I, I do that. Really? What kind of church is it? Oh, we're an apostolic faith. Here it comes. What is apostolic? Well, do you know about the book of Acts? It's the book that comes right after the Gospels of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then the book of Acts comes in there. Well, there's a story in the book of Acts, blah, 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 blah. And I would just, just let her ride. Right? It was my favorite opening, my favorite question. That's the way I found that I could share my testimony, that I could get people talking, that I could become, a, become an ambassador to my coworkers and to my neighbors. Can I stand here today and tell you that I've seen... Hundreds of souls saved because of my ministry? Nope. I have seen people saved. I have seen people baptized. I've taught Bible studies. I was trained by my best bud right there. Trained and taught me how to reach and teach people because I was hungry to do it. I stepped up and said, Brother Kylie, will you teach me? I'm desperate to see people saved. You see? So Paul gives us all of this list. Keep, keep 2 Corinthians chapter 6 handy. If you're starting to feel fear, if you don't know what to do, you want to start the day out, you want to be effective because you need to understand that part of the message is this, that if we don't get good at this, if we don't begin to be an ambassador for God, what's God going to do with us? What are we here for, right? All right, I got to zip through really quickly. I've only got a couple of minutes left. If your life is in a storm, and we go through all kinds of storms, all kinds of troubles and sorrows, that's what the devil wants. He wants you distracted with pains, problems, jobs, bills. Well, Brother Cordell, I, I just don't have time to teach Bible study. I got so much going on. I got this, I got these problems, I got all these family issues, blah, blah, blah. That's what he wants. But I'm gonna tell you what, if you've ever read the book of Jonah, when did the storm stop? Think about that for a minute. The storm stops when we turn the mirror away and we start looking out there. We start looking at our mission. It's amazing when you begin to minister to people and do things for people and give them rides and talk to them and share Bible studies and do all those things, you start to put a focus on that and the discussion at home becomes about, about uh, Uncle Joe or neighborhood Fred or whatever and, and you have that conversation. What can we do about Fred? What can we do to help Fred? You know, Fred and his wife are really great people, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you know what? We haven't talked about our problems for a couple of days. Well, they must be pretty small if we're more concerned about neighborhood Fred, right? You see what I'm saying? The devil wants you focused on yourself. He wants you focused on all your challenges and problems. And what I'm here to tell you today is if you read the book of Jonah, you understand that the storm stops when you begin to do God's will. Jonah was cast into the, the belly of the whale because he refused to do God's will. What was, his, what was God's will in that situation? Anybody remember? Preached to Nineveh, exactly. God told him specifically to go to the king and to the people of Nineveh, and Jonah was afraid. And he took off to Tarshish, and, 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 and Jonah didn't want to do it because he believed in his mind, what? He was going to be rejected, persecuted. He believed that they weren't going to listen. God himself told Jonah to go. Now, I, folks, I'm telling you, the word of God is, is, is solid in this area. You are Jonah. You are being told to go. And if you're dealing with storms and problems and challenges in your life right now, it's because you're sitting in the belly of the whale. And if you change your heart and you change your mind and say, God, somehow help me to do this. Somehow help me to be an ambassador to my community. That whale is going to spit you out on the land and he's going to send you to Nineveh. But guess what? He's going to be way ahead of you. God's going to be way ahead of you. And he's going to work on the heart of that king and work on the heart of those people. And somebody's going to stand up and say, yes, Brother Matucci, thank you so much for sharing the word of God with me. Thank you for coming to me. Many of you know Sister Marianne's was the secretary in this church for a long, long time. 
Sister Mary Young's worked with my mother at Clark Oil and Refining in West Dallas when I was about 11 years old. Sister Mary Young's is a soul winner. Oh, she's got it down. And she reached out to my mother, no fear, no challenge, no concerns, and she said, I want to invite you to a Bible study. Folks, I want you to know there has been many, many times that I have been on my knees and I thank God for Sister Mary Young's reaching out to my family because we were in a mess. We needed God desperately in our lives. And I would not be standing here today, I would guess, if it wasn't for that sweet, dear lady who said, would you like to come to my Bible study? You see what I'm saying? There's somebody out there waiting for you. Sister Parton, there's someone in your group, people that you teach, those folks that you've been teaching that you try to reach out to, somebody in that group is thinking about you and thankful that you've shared the word of God with them. Somebody, Sister Mendez, there's somebody out there waiting waiting for you to share the word of God that's going to say, thank you, thank you, Sister Ruth. Thank you for sharing the word of God because I was so lost and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. Each and every one of you has that person or persons waiting for them if you just get a hold of this. Now, here's the secrets. Remember, I told you the second part of my message. The secrets to soul winning are this. Far too long, if we don't talk about it enough and we don't teach it and we train it enough, things kind of get muddled and lost in how we do this. And so the general consensus or the general idea is that we all have to do the same thing. And then if we don't feel comfortable with that thing that we think everybody does, we sign out. And I use door knocking as an example. I do not like door knocking. I believe that people are very jaded. I think people, there's too many Jehovah's Witnesses and other people that knock on people's doors. And it's been a very unfruitful method. Now, there's other ways that you can travel through your community, and there's some things that we've done where we've shared cookies with people, and we've welcomed people into the neighborhood. You can go and meet people effectively without being and jamming a track in their face. So don't get me, don't get me wrong. I'm not, knock, I'm not taking out door knocking, but what I'm saying is, is that is not the be-all and end-all of what the mission that we have at hand. Do you see? Here's the answer to that question. Now, I know there's some business owners in there. I know Brother Marty will relate to this, and maybe some of you in your jobs can relate to this. But I've been several times in organizations where they've sat me down, put me in front of these personality tests, and they said, you're going to fill out this test, and it's going to come out, and it's going to tell you the type of personality that you are. And it's going to tell you how you're going to interact with clientele, and it's going to tell you how you interact internally with other people. And, And it gives you all this kind of feedback. Well, you're a sanguine personality, and... This will be shocking to some people, but I'm an outgoing person. And so um, you go through these personality assessments because it helps you define and understand who you are and to help you to be more successful in your job. They especially do this in sales environments. And so what I'm here to tell you today is maybe you're not the door knocker. Some people are confronters. Some people are willing to walk up to someone and say, do you know Jesus Christ? Because he wants to know you. And that works for them. Some people are thinkers, they're intellects. They like to have intellectual discussions. John Matson has brought people and witnessed to people and seen people saved again and again and again. He's very intellectual, he's a thinker, and he's willing to share thoughts and, and examine the word of God and get people into that powerful word. Some people are testifiers. That's the easiest one of all. Nobody can take away your testimony from you. They can argue Bible all day long, but they can't tell you you didn't experience what you experienced with God. And so if you just got good at sharing your testimony, finding a way to get people to ask you, well, can you tell me about your experience in church? Well, one day I was... (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Get people to open the door. That's what this is about, this personality test. Some people are personal connectors. They just like, hey, come on over to my house for a barbecue. Let's sit down and talk. Oh, by the way, you know, I, have, I have this great church. You guys go to church? That's a ter- particular type of personality. Or an inviter. Some people believe that the concept of being a, a soul winner is just going out and inviting people into church. That's not really super scriptural. It's important. We have the church. We minister here. We have the spirit of God. and we're, I'm saying, Don't discount it. But I'm saying it's not the be-all and end-all to being an ambassador. We're to go out there and talk to people. And yes, then bring them into the presence of God, you see? So maybe you're an inviter. There's an event going on here at church. And it's real easy for you to say, hey, we got this really great event. Would you like to come? And that's effective for some people. Some people are servers, right? 
You just show up at their house and you hand them a plate of cookies and, hey, can I help you out? I noticed you're, you're really busy. Uh, by the way, I mow the lawn here in the neighborhood. If you'd like, I'd be happy to mow yours or whatever. Some people are servers. So what we really need to do is define who and what we are and how God can use us. Does that make sense? Okay. Everybody got real quiet. People were thinking, oh, I thought I was going to get out of this. Now I have to because now there's all these ways I can be a soul winner. The next component, and I got two minutes and and I'm going to have you stand. The next component of this thing is we've got to know God. Well, that's obvious, Brother Cordell. Of course we do. No, I mean you need to know God. You see, I think a lot of people are willing to just listen to people who know God. Do you want to just spend the rest of your Christian walk just listening to Moses? Or do you want to climb the mountain? and really be in the presence of God. When you know God, and I'm talking about knowing the powerful grace, and I could spend another hour giving testimony and talking about the incredible move of grace of God right here in this church, but it takes the effort to step forward. It takes that deep worship. It takes that prayer. It takes fasting. It takes time invested in getting a hold of God, being willing to weep at his feet, be willing to turn it over to him, invest yourself in God and really get to know him. Remember Matthew chapter seven, there were people that said, didn't we do all these great things? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do all this? And he said, depart from me that work iniquity for I knew you not. People, they didn't know him. They just listened to people that knew him. I'm telling you folks, the biggest key to this whole thing, you gotta climb the mountain. You gotta get up in the face of God, let your hair turn white and your face turn white. And really, deeply experience God in worship and in prayer. It takes discipline. You got to be here. Every service, every event, everything that's happening in the center of your world should be right here and get to know God deeper than ever. Let's stand this morning. My last point to you, and I'm wrapping on this, you've got to believe in miracles. You have to believe in miracles in order to be a soul winner, to go on to our mission. And here's what I mean by that. The Bible tells us that people that are spiritually, are, not, are born into this world, are spiritually dead. Little baby born into this world is spiritually dead. The reason we call this rebirth, that we're born again, is because it literally is resurrecting the dead. Jesus showed us that example throughout scripture again and again. And you have to believe in the miracle that it takes in order to see. See, we let disbelief step in our way and say, that person's not going to listen to me. That person's not going to want to hear what I have to say. They're just, they're, they're just they're going to think I'm a fool and I'm an idiot. It's because you don't believe in miracles. We got to get back to the place where we believe that miracles will happen. If we utter the word, you got to believe in your mind and say to yourself, if I share the word of God with somebody, a miracle is going to happen. They're going to hear that and God is going to use that word and get inside their heart and something is going to explode inside them and make them so hungry that they're going to want to hear my testimony. They're going to want to hear the word of God. God is going to break down that shell and a miracle is going to happen. The rebirth experience is going to happen for them right here at this altar or perhaps at your home in it altar or perhaps right in the job but you got to believe in miracles second timothy chapter four says this i charge thee therefore before god and the lord jesus christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom preach the word be instant in season and out of season reprove rebuke exhort and all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, they shall leap to the heap to themselves, teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered at the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course and I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all those, all of them also, that love his appearing. Folks, if that doesn't say to it all, I don't know what else there is to say. But if you'll join me today here at this altar, 
And just take my example if you want or whatever God is putting in your heart. But say, God, I'm ready. I'm hungry. I'm desperate to be an ambassador for you. I need to find the way that this works for me so that I can go out there and share. Open the doors for me, God. Let some person come to me. I don't want to knock a door. I don't want to go out into the field. I don't want to hand out tracts, Lord. It's just not me. But can you send me somebody? And then you'll have that first success, that first sale. And then the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And we'll be reachers of our community. Praise the Lord. God, we're so very thankful, Lord, for your word. Lord, we know that you didn't save us solely for the purpose to sit at the banquet table and eat of this meal over and over and over again. But you called us to a purpose, to be your feet, to be your eyes, to be your hands and your mouth, Lord God, to be a minister in your kingdom. Lord, we know it's a privilege and an honor to be saved. It's a privilege and an honor to serve in the house of the Lord. But God, I pray that you lay upon us today a great burden, Lord God, a great pressure, Lord, to reach out, open our eyes and begin to share the word of God and our testimony with everyone that we know. In this desperate hour, Lord God, help us to be ministers for you, ambassadors in these foreign nations that we abide in, God. Bless every soul here with a fire in their belly to learn and to desire to see, to save that which is lost. In Jesus' precious name we pray. I'm sorry for going long for you today, but I felt so, so pressed by God to encourage you. If you want to join us at the altar this morning, I felt so pressed by God to encourage our congregation and let you know that you're wonderfully powerful people, wonderfully made, full of potential, full of the ability to see the law saved. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.